0: Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Verse number 8 is important. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit." I'm going to leap off of this conversation that Jesus has with a very religious man, a very moral man, a very sincere man, a man who loved his Bible, the Torah, the Jewish Bible. He he loved God, and he took his walk with God very seriously, but he was struggling immensely with the supernatural aspects of Jesus' ministry and the fact that Jesus did not attach himself to the established religion of the day. Jesus appeared to the religious leaders to be a maverick, to be a nonconformist, to be one who understood things in a different paradigm than the accepted, day, uh, accepted views of that day. And Jesus has this conversation with Nicodemus that I want to highlight, and then I want to bring you several other passages with my intent being this morning, that you and I may be more surrendered to God the Spirit than we ever have before. Now, let me, let me go ahead and say this, because some of you are already clenching. I can sense it. I'm, I'm not trying to get you to do anything. I'm not trying to force feed you a doctrine that you don't believe in. What I'm saying is, I want to let the scriptures do the heavy lifting. And when when I see a doctrine or a truth in the word of God that I don't understand completely, I have to exhale, I have to loosen my grip and humble myself and come repeatedly to the place where I confess and acknowledge God is God, I should not be surprised that I don't understand everything about him. It is pride in us that says, if I don't understand it, it can't be true. It is spiritual arrogance in us that would say that same thing. It is humility in us that says, I don't know if I can believe it. I know I might not have ever experienced it, but I'm not going to say it isn't so just because I don't believe it or I haven't experienced it before. So let's not make our own capacity to understand the arbiter of whether or not something is biblically true. And let's not make our own experiences or lack of experiences be the arbiter of whether or not something is true. Let's go into the Word of God and let's ask this very same Holy Spirit that we're going to talk about to broaden our understanding, to enlarge our hearts, and for us to be able to walk in everything that He has for us. I don't think there's a person in this building that would say, I don't want to walk in everything that God has for me. Every single one of us want everything that God has for us. If we're walking in the Spirit, we want that. And so let's find out what Jesus teaches us. In the next service, I'm going to show what Paul teaches about the Holy Spirit, but let's begin here. First of all, I want to give you this. In his conversation with Nicodemus, we find out that to be saved is to be reborn of the Holy Spirit. To be saved is to be reborn of the Holy Spirit. We see that in John 3 5, when Jesus says to you, I say, truly, truly, I say, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, remember with me, Nicodemus has all of his theology in line, he's got all of his doctrine par excellence. He has very high moral standards. He's separated from the world. He's come to Jesus with a genuine question in which he says, Jesus, you are puzzling. Because we hear what you say, we see what you do, you've got to be a prophet who has been sent from God. He doesn't even ask a question, but Jesus gives the answer. And the answer to Nicodemus, the very religious, moral, conservative, theological man, is this. You're not getting into the kingdom unless you're born of the Spirit. It's what he tells him. Now, there is debate on what is meant by born of water. I don't have time to go into that this morning. I personally, personally believe Jesus is referring to a physical birth there. If you disagree with me, that's fine. We don't need to uh, go, go to combat over that. But there is no debating what he means when he says, unless you are born of the Spirit, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, I want to I encourage some of you. If you are born again, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, if you have believed in your heart That he died for your sins and that death on the cross was sufficient to pay the price for your sins. Somebody's got to die for your sin. The wages of sin is death. Somebody has to die for every human being's sin. Jesus in love comes, dies for my sin so that I didn't have to die for it, dies for your sin so that you didn't have to die for it. And when we receive that, believing also that God raised him up from the dead, the Bible says that we are saved. The Bible says that we are born again or born from above. But Jesus is here equating that very transaction with a phrase that we don't often use, born of the Spirit. Listen, this is how the Holy Spirit works in our salvation. First of all, He brings the gospel to you. You never would have gone pursuing the gospel had he not brought it to you. You would not have wanted God had he not been moving the Holy Spirit, working in your heart to prepare you, and then he brings the gospel to you. When the gospel comes to you, the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts you of your sin. He shows you through your own faculties, your mind, your heart, your emotions, he shows you that you are guilty before God and you are convicted of your sin it is the Holy Spirit that grants you repentance. That means He so works in your heart to where believing the gospel and seeing your need come together in this moment where you repent of your sin. That is the Holy Spirit. That's not your moral pulse. You need God's help even to repent. The Holy Spirit regenerates you. The Holy Spirit enters you at the moment of salvation and He seals you unto the day of redemption Then the Holy Spirit begins to renew your mind, and over time, the Holy Spirit begins to fill you. The Holy Spirit brings gifts to you, the charismata, the spiritual gifts of grace, and the Holy Spirit never stops working to sanctify you. That's what it means to be born of the Spirit. It means you're not doing religious stuff for God. It means you are in the process of being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ by the working of the Holy Spirit through various means that He has at his disposal. We, we, we wouldn't even be in the kingdom apart from the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul wrote to the church of Galatia in chapter 3. He said, having begun in the Spirit, are you now trying to become perfect by your flesh? Paul knew and wrote and taught that the, the, even the regenerating work of salvation is equated to being born of the Spirit. And Jesus says, unless that happens, you aren't even in the kingdom. And so one of the things I like to do automatically is I like to give honor and glory and praise to God the Spirit for His personal work in my life. And it's not enough just to say, Jesus saved me. I get that. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that you did. But all that He did, I never would have believed in had it not been for the Holy Spirit. So go a little further with me. To be saved is to be reborn of the Holy Spirit. Jesus goes on to give us something, that's amazing to me at, at this juncture in his teaching what he says in John 3, 7, and 8. The life led by the Holy Spirit cannot be fully explained. This is where a lot of us who are theologically centered and driven, we struggle with teachings like this in John 3, 7, and 8. Jesus said to Nicodemus, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. And then he gives an illustration about the Holy Spirit. He says, the wind blows where it wishes. And you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. And he says, so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. I want to remind all of us, especially if we are uh, driven by theological truth, and I am. I'm going to tell you, I'm, there's a lot of things that motivate me, but but my, I, I love the guardrails of the Word of God. The Holy Spirit to me and the gifts are a green light. The truth of God's Word are the guardrails, making sure I don't end up in a ditch somewhere. But when I read this, I have to be reminded that no matter how enlightened I am, no matter how renewed in the spirit my mind is, no matter how much I might be endowed with the gift of discernment or you might have that, the reality is there comes a place where we honor the Lord by refusing to believe that we know everything that the Holy Spirit is and all that he does. If we get to the place where we say, no, the Holy Spirit can't do that. The Holy Spirit doesn't do that. He stopped doing that. He's never going to do that again. Or if we get to the place where we just kind of as an arbiter, we say, that's not the Holy Spirit, I will caution us because this is what the Son of God taught. The Son of God compared the moving and the working and the personhood of the Holy Spirit to wind. And he also makes the comparison that those of us who walk in the Spirit, those of us who are born of the Spirit, we're like that wind too. And he says this, you know the wind when you feel it. You know the wind when you hear it. You can see the wind's impact on the things that it's hitting, but you don't know where it came from and you don't know where it goes after it leaves you. You just know it when it's blowing on you. And and that's what Jesus is teaching. And so what, what are we to learn? And it's amazing to me. This is his first teaching on the Holy Spirit, and the first thing he says about the Holy Spirit is this, yeah, you're not going to figure him out. It's the first thing he's teaching, Nicodemus. The first thing he says, he's like, you will never be able to predict everything about the Holy Spirit. You will never be able to control everything about the Holy Spirit. Now, we are post-Enlightenment, Western American, 21st century Christians, and frankly, A lot of us don't like to not know everything. We want to know everything because we feel like the more we know it, the more on top of it we are. And the more we know it, no surprises. Nothing's going to catch me off guard. I'll be basically in control. And God loves us, but he laughs at us when we think like that. He's like, oh, you think you're in control? You think you're in control, do you? And he reminds us that he's God. He's God. Friends, when we see Jesus in the Gospels, do you know that if Jesus did in our church or our ministry some of the things he did in the Gospels, that we would run him off? Do you realize that? Spitting in people's eyes. Cursing the fig tree. The environmentalist would go berserk. He cursed the fig tree. It's Arbor Day, Jesus. You can't do that. We we would lose it. Some of the things that he did, he, he let, a, he let a, a woman of ill repute take down her hair and wash his feet. That broke all the societal norms. Jesus would hang out with people that would drink all day. He would go there not to participate in their sins, but in to make himself available as redeemer. We don't do that kind of stuff, most of us. You see, Jesus did a lot of things that surprised people, and we we acknowledge that because it's written in Scripture, but you let the Holy Spirit start doing stuff that's out of the box, and people cry foul. Because we don't think the Holy Spirit moves in the same way that Jesus moves. We have come to this erroneous conclusion that the Holy Spirit has now been domesticated and tamed, and we prefer him to be present but quiet. And still and Jesus tells Nicodemus right off the bat it's like the wind the person who lives in the Holy Spirit is like the wind you don't know where they're coming from you don't know where they're going but you know in the moment what is happening so what does that do I mean what what, what kind of practical uh, teaching can we come from that I'm gonna tell you what it does for me I'm not gonna legislate what it does for you because Jesus actually gives no instruction he just gives the truth And the truth is for us to process. But I'm going to tell you what it did for me years ago. Many of you don't know, I was a Baptist cessationist. That's just a word that means one who was taught and then believes that the gifts of the Holy Spirit stopped at the end of the first century. And so I believed that. And when I started studying my Bible, I realized my reasons for believing that were were not biblically as strong as they were emotionally felt. And so when I studied the scriptures, I realized, oh, wow. Wow. I don't think that this little little nail that I'm hanging my doctrine of cessation and cessationism on, that's a flimsy nail to hold such a weighty doctrine. And so when I started reading the Bible, I realized I don't know everything that I think I know, and I have severely limited the Holy One of Israel. I have limited God the Spirit. And so it got to the point where I had to acknowledge the life led by the Holy Spirit cannot be fully explained. I will say this, stay in one place long enough where the Holy Spirit is welcomed and therefore active and you will see things that you will not be able to explain. You, your flesh will be offended. Your mind will be challenged. You will be confronted with the opportunity to discern whether or not you are where you are in the spectrum of being at peace with God being God, even if you don't have a grid for what he's doing. I promise you, if you stay in one place long enough and you don't flee when he begins to move. I don't know if I'm gonna get done with this outline this morning, but I'm starting to feel the pulse of the Lord for what he's saying this morning. Uh, There is within us that, that fight or flight impulse. And we have a religious component of that. When the Lord begins to move outside of our religious box and our understanding, and we don't, we, we don't want to oppose God. It's not that we are antagonistic against God. It's just that we, 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 we like the God that we know who fits in the box because he's safe and he's predictable, he's easy. We've been walking with him. And when he starts to come out of that box, oh, no, God, help us. We've got to think again. We've got to learn again. We've got to surrender anew. We've got to submit afresh. And the flesh does not like that. The flesh wants God to be tame. And that's not the God of the Bible. If I asked you, if I said, hey, does anybody believe that God the Father in the Old Testament was domesticated and tame? Nobody would say, no. No. Does anybody believe that when Jesus went up to the temple with a cat of nine tails and ran out all those that were making merchandise of his father's house, does anybody want to say that he was domesticated and tame? We'd say no. But if I ask the same thing about the Holy Spirit, most people are somewhere between an awkward shrug because they really don't know what the Holy Spirit is doing or, or against the idea that the Holy Spirit moves. And so Jesus tells Nicodemus, and by proxy tells us right off the bat, the Holy Spirit is going to move in ways that are not understandable and not fully explainable. Go a little bit further with me. I'm going to come out of John 3. Let me give you a couple of other verses from John's Gospel. I like what Jesus said concerning the Holy Spirit. He he taught his disciples and us that we are advantaged by the Holy Spirit's presence and ministry. Look at what Jesus said. He said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away the helper or the comforter the holy spirit if I do not go away the helper will not come to you but if I go I will send him to you This is pretty amazing Jesus was getting close to his crucifixion his death his resurrection and he had been telling his disciples that he was going to return unto the father Now his disciples didn't like that because Who wants to be without Jesus? Jesus is supposed to set up the kingdom. Jesus is supposed to topple Rome. Jesus is supposed to come in as the political and national Messiah. And now he's talking, and he he said it to them often, frequently, more than once. He said to them, they're going to crucify me. I'll rise, but they're going to crucify me. And then he's telling them, I'm going back to the Father. And the disciples are struggling with this because they had gotten to the place where, obviously, they they loved being with Jesus. They got to walk with him. They got to travel with him. They got to eat with him. They got to serve with him. They got got to be by his side. They got to ask him any question that they wanted. They got to hear him um, uh, clarify the the religious issues of the day and the misunderstandings and conceptions that that were out there. But now he's saying he's going back, and they're, they're, they're getting sad. And Jesus says, well, hold on, wait a minute. It's actually to your advantage that I go back to the Father. It's to your advantage because as long as I'm here, I can't send the Holy Spirit here. But when I go away, I will send him and he will come to you. Now, why is that an advantage? Well, most of us, if somebody said, you know, we have this conversation, wouldn't it be awesome to be alive in first century Palestine at the early part of it and walk with Jesus and to see him do the miracles and to hear them hear him preach and feed the hungry and open the eyes of the blind and raise the dead, wouldn't that be awesome? And I would say, yeah, that'd be awesome, but I'm going to challenge us because Jesus said it's actually better to live in the Holy Spirit than it would have been to walk by his side, to walk by Jesus' side. Jesus is teaching the disciples and all of us who live post-Pentecost, after Pentecost, that we actually have an advantage over Peter, James, and John, that we actually have an advantage over Moses, an advantage over Abraham, over King David, over Isaiah, over John the Baptist. We are actually advantage, and here is why. When Jesus was on earth, he was in one place at a time. Only those that were in his physical proximity had the ability to benefit From his presence. And so when Jesus was here on earth, he submitted himself to the limitations of a physical body. He entered into time and space and moved in a physical earthly realm, all without sin, but he entered into the human experience. And when he died and sent the Holy Spirit, now it is not simply a handful of people that have God with them, it is all believers who have God in them. Do you realize that Moses did not have the habitation of the Holy Spirit? That David, King David, the anointed, wonderful, poet, warrior, lover, the king of Israel in all of his glory, he did not have the Holy Spirit constantly abiding in him. And there were other people all throughout the Old Testament, everyone that you read, oftentimes they had God come upon them or the Spirit come upon them. But Jesus said, no, when I leave and the church is birthed, it will be to your advantage because the Holy Spirit will come and the Holy Spirit will be omnipresent through the church. Inhabiting, listen, I'm going to tell you today, my Christian friend, you have God Almighty living within you right now. Right now. Right now. God the Spirit is living within you. I know, and I'm not going to split hairs on this, I know we're taught, especially little kids, ask Jesus into your heart. Theologically speaking, Jesus is not in your heart. Jesus is seated bodily on a throne in heaven. He will be coming bodily back to this planet. But truthfully speaking, the Holy Spirit lives within you. And wherever you go, you have God with you. You have God in you. You have God for you. You have God before you. It's an awesome thing to know that God Almighty, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, John the Baptist, Peter, James, and John, all of these heroes, Esther and Deborah, all of them that served God, we have him in us. And so the idea that we can have God in us and never notice him is a farce. It is a biblical theological impossibility. And I want to tell you in a few moments that you actually have a huge part in determining how much of the Holy Spirit you personally experience. So let's go a little bit further. Starting to wake up in here a little bit. Come on. Holy Spirit will teach the followers of Jesus. I'm just giving you, I'm not giving you everything about the Holy Spirit. I'm giving you some things that I think is important. Holy Spirit will teach the followers of Jesus. Jesus says, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send, isn't that interesting? Because Jesus said He would send them, and now He's saying the Father will send them. So, you got what I call an inner trinitarian agreement. Father and Son said, Holy Spirit, now is your time. The Father will send in my name. Here it is. The Holy Spirit, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Then in John 16, verses 12 and 13, Jesus said this, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of Truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. I, there, there is a great help for all of you that preach or teach or if you're discipling somebody or if you're pouring into your children. I want you to know it's, the whole thing does not depend on you saying it perfectly right every time. It does not depend on you having absolute 100% clarity on every doctrinal truth to the fullest extent. It doesn't matter if you're an eloquent speaker or if you stammer or stutter. The reality is, is when we are yielded, when we are given to the Lord and we want him to use us, we have within us the greatest teacher who has ever existed. It is the Holy Spirit's presence that is our confidence. Like right now, I'm going to give you a, like in-the-moment illustration. Right now, I am preaching truths, and after I say it, there's a little thing in my head that's saying, you could have said that better, you could have said that better, you could have said that better. But there's another part of my, all this is happening simultaneously every time I preach. You know, I'm talking, but I've also got somebody talking to me, and then sometimes it's the enemy accusing me, and sometimes the Holy Spirit saying, "Just, I'm going to tell the devil to shut up, don't listen to him, just listen to me. The reality is is that we have the Holy Spirit who is the teacher and what does Jesus say that the Holy Spirit will do two things revelation and recall revelation and recall he will teach you all things now that revelation aspect can be more precisely illumination that he's going to teach you and give you fresh insight and illumination I call it fresh oil on something that's been written in the Word the Holy Spirit loves the Bible the Holy Spirit's not upset with the Bible A lot of people think when you open your Bible, the Holy Spirit says, not the Bible again. And he leaves because a lot of people are immature and they think if it's really the Holy Spirit, it's just about the groove in the moment, man. We just got to get in that groove. And, and, And so they believe when you open the Bible and go theological, the Holy Spirit throws his hands up and says, they've just quenched me. Can I say, if you happen to be in that category, I love you, but you had better grow up in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit authored the Bible. He inspired the human, it's his word. He's never upset with it. And ultimately, oh, thank you, Lord. I'm feeling the boldness. Ultimately, when, when when people are bored with the Bible, it's not because they're full of the Spirit, it's because they're full of immaturity. And so it, it, they're, they're never in conflict with each other. The Holy Spirit loves the word that he inspired. He loves to have it taught and preached. Why? Because when a human speaks it, the Holy Spirit is in this room right now preaching a couple of hundred different sermons to each of you. He's meeting you with Ramah through the Logos. He's giving you a word in the moment from the eternal word that has settled forever in heaven. See, I love that that thing. You can put somebody with no education, and if they know how to read, seriously, if they know how to read and they have a Bible, they're in class with God Almighty whenever they want. I love that. A hundred percent access to eternally wise teacher. And he speaks to us. Jesus goes on to say that there were a lot of things on earth that he wanted to teach his disciples, but they weren't ready for them. Did you catch that? He actually said, he said, I got a lot of things to teach you, but you can't bear it right now. I love that because even Jesus was wise enough not to go full disclosure with everything that he knew and understood. Let me testify here. By the way, I'm going to run a little bit long today, so... Um, I forgive you for being upset. Um, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. I'm playing with you guys. Um, Years ago, many years ago, uh, when I was, I call it coming out of the closet about my belief in the gifts. I was a closet practicer of, of spiritual gifts, pastoring a denominational church that did not believe in the gifts and were actually against the gifts. So when I started sharing with our leadership team, hey, I believe our bylaws are wrong. I believe our doctrinal statement is wrong. And we took some months to go through it. I remember one occasion, these were all good people, by the way. I'm not bad-mouthing them. We disagreed on these things. But I remember on on one occasion, uh, one of the brothers was very frustrated with me. He said, man, why didn't you tell us this years ago? And my answer to him was, well, you weren't ready for it, and neither was the church. And he felt like that was an arrogant statement. And what I did is I took him to this. I said, Jesus had things that he withheld from his disciples because it wasn't the right time. You see, friends, there ought to always be something that God is working deeply in you that is for you and not just to spill it out as soon as it starts you know, pulsing in you. Jesus said, I'm not going to be able to teach you these things, disciples, but when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to teach you. And then it's not only revelation, it's recall. I love this too. The older I get, the more important this is. It's that he will bring to mind the things you already learned. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not the young guy anymore. I used to be the young guy, and I'm not the young guy anymore. And you know, one of the hardest things on a daily basis for me is, wh- where are my keys? I mean, I just forget stuff constantly. And, but it's an awesome thing, and a lot of y'all have experienced this, where you're in a, you're in a witnessing situation, or you're in a teaching situation, or maybe even a, a, a debate of some sort about the kingdom, and, and you're talking, and, and, and then something comes out of your mouth, and as it does, you're like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But in your heart, you're saying, that was the Lord, because I, I hadn't thought about that verse in years. What is that? That's recall. That's the Holy Spirit. And the more saturated you are with the written word, the more he has to draw from and bring that stuff out of you, and you will, he will literally help you recall things that you maybe in the, in the conscious level had not been thinking about. All I'm saying here is that one of the Holy Spirit's primary activities is to teach the followers of Jesus. Friends, let's humble ourselves. You wouldn't know any theology, you wouldn't understand anything about the kingdom if it were not for the work of the Holy Spirit. We cannot take credit. I know that some of us have, you know, faculties that maybe are elevated beyond the norm, but when it comes to understanding kingdom truth, the little kid can get it. The little kid can get it. Why? The saved little girl or little boy has the teacher inside of them. Um, I've experienced moments where both of my children, even when they were younger, will say stuff and Amy and I'll look at each other and we're like, I think that was the Lord. Because a little seven-year-old or eight-year-old just speaks truth. What's happening? The Holy Spirit has taught them stuff. That's why we take very seriously ministry to your children and grandchildren here. That they're not in there doing flannel graphs, you know, and, and just coloring workbooks. Every single age group is going to get something taught to them at a level that they can digest. And receive it. Um, let me get a little bit further. The Holy Spirit will actively work with non believers. We need to remember this. Acts 1 8 and then John 16 again. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And then in John 16, Jesus says, When he comes, that's the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they don't believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Listen, anytime the gospel is presented to somebody who is not yet a believer, not yet a Christian, it is not about our plan, our format. I've taken more evangelism courses than I could ever use in this lifetime, and all of them were good. I believe, you, I believe every Christian ought to know how to lead somebody to Jesus Christ biblically. And it's not that tough. You can, you can learn it in three hours. You can memorize it in three hours. You need a handful of verses, but that's the objective truth. You must have the power of the Holy Spirit. It is the power of the Holy Spirit That brings life out of death it is the power of the Holy Spirit that awakens the dead via the proclamation or the witnessing of the truth it is the Holy Spirit that does all of the heavy lifting that's why we don't obsess when when we we give somebody the gospel and they just either they're detached they don't get it or they're not ready I don't go home and beat my head up against the wall I don't go home feeling like a failure I go home maybe grieved and burdened for the state of their soul, but I go home knowing that the seed I just planted in them is going to be tended to by the Spirit of God who originated that seed. And when the power of God hits a people or an individual, I, I am all for the spiritual gifts. Don't, don't leave here me, you hear me saying today, Jeff just diminishes the gifts. No, we'll talk about that in the next service, actually. But when Jesus said the power of the Holy Spirit comes, the first thing that he equated to was being witnesses and proponents of the gospel. He, he didn't, listen, oh, God help me, Jesus. In, in a lot of Pentecostal charismatic uh, denominational thought, They want to say, do you have the Holy Spirit? Because if you do, the first initial evidence will be what? Tongues. A, the Bible never mandates that. B, Jesus said this, when the power of the Holy Spirit comes, if if we're going to say there's initial evidence, I'm going to go with what Jesus said. And Jesus said, you are going to be witnesses. There's a lot of people out there that talk in tongues, but they never share their faith. And honestly, they're mean as snakes. But they would consider themselves Holy Ghost filled. Amen. Hallelujah. They they, they would consider that because they had a tongue's experience. Listen, I'm going to tell you, we don't need to go around advertising spirit filled. If you're spirit filled, folks are going to know it, not because you're walking around yabba dabba doing all the time, but because, because you are walking in the fruit of the spirit. You're walking in with the character of Christ. With the love of Jesus and you're sharing his message with people. I, I I can tell you this, I want revival here. It cannot be revival until we see people coming to Jesus Christ in repentance. Lost people repenting for their sins and coming to Jesus. It can be the beginnings of a revival, but nobody around here should say we are in full revival until we start seeing mass repentance and salvations on a regular basis. That's when we know the power of God will hit this place. So he's going to work with non-believers. Let me give you this. I got two, a couple more. Holy Spirit communicates in complete agreement with the Son of God. Jesus says this, He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Verse 14, He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is important, friends. I think most of us are comfortable with the concept of God sending the Son to earth to be the Savior of the world. I I don't think anybody really gets wrenched up on that. We say, yes, the Father sent the Son and the Son wanted to come and there was Father-Son agreement that the Son would come to earth to be the Savior of all those who believe. And so we're pretty comfortable with that. But we're not as comfortable with the idea that Jesus sent the Spirit as Jesus was on earth and did everything as under the Father. You remember what Jesus said as the son of man he said I only do what I see the father doing I only speak what I hear the father speaking Jesus as the son of man lived in a submission unto God the father though they were equal and are equal he submitted himself in his role on earth Jesus is teaching the exact same thing about the Holy Spirit here Jesus is saying what the Holy Spirit is doing comes from me that's what he says. If, if you struggle with that, let me read it again. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he speaks. That's exactly what Jesus said about his ministry from the Father. And then he will declare to you the things that are to come. And Jesus said this, he will glorify me. L- let me give you a quote from John Piper, and maybe that will help you. John Piper said this, before Christ coming, it was the prominence of God the Father, During the days of Christ's earthly life, the prominence of God the Son, and the ascension of the Son, the prominence of God the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we live in a unique climactic period of redemptive history, the days of the Holy Spirit. Just as Israel of old had a special responsibility to know and to honor God as Father and the oneness of His nature, and just as the people of Palestine had a special responsibility to know and honor Jesus as the Son of God in the days of His flesh, so now we have a special responsibility to know and honor the Holy Spirit. The sin of despising his person and rejecting his work now is of the same nature with idolatry of old and with Israel's rejection of the person of God the Son. That is good teaching. What is he saying? When Israel of old rebelled against God the Father and went chasing after all the Philistine and pagan gods, that was heresy, that was blasphemy, that was idolatry. John chapter 1 says that Jesus came unto his own, Israel, but his own did not receive him. They rejected the Son. Israel of old rejected the Father and were chastised. Israel in the New Testament and the Gospels, they rejected God the Son. And they, they still to this very day are operating in blindness. But what John Piper is saying here is we have the unique responsibility to not do what Israel did to the Father and to the Son. We can't do that with the Holy Spirit. Now if you don't know John Piper, I can tell you he is not a roll-on-the-floor, tongue-talking charismatic. He believes in the gifts of the Spirit, but to his own admission, he does not practice them, but I am so grateful that he lets his Bible dictate what he believes and not his lack of experience. And he is saying there, we have the special responsibility to be people of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to be strong with this, and then I'm going to wrap up. friends, it is not an option to move aside the teaching and the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not a viable option. It's not a case, you believe, I don't believe. And granted, there are different levels of what we believe concerning the Holy Spirit. But what I want to tell you, it has been my observation that most people who do not believe in the gifts and the work of the Holy Spirit really don't have a clear articul- articulation of what they do believe about the Holy Spirit. They just know what they're against. And my question is, if he's not empowering us, if he's not gifting us, if he is not working and seeking to work further signs and miracles and supernatural work, if he is not doing anything, then what we have done is we've boiled down his role to saving people and maybe a lip service to sanctifying people, but not doing anything else. And I'm just gonna say, I think that's irresponsible. I think it's unbiblical and therefore untenable. Because God the Spirit is continuing the work that Jesus did. Jesus did miracles. Jesus did signs. Jesus did wonders. When we don't see them, the last thing we, when we don't see the miracles, signs, and wonders, the last thing we need to do is conclude that he doesn't do them anymore. Because that makes him different than Jesus. What we need to conclude is there's something on us, not him. The, 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 The fault is not with him. And we don't need to create a doctrine that says, yeah, he doesn't do that anymore because we haven't seen outpourings like that in so long. He just doesn't do that anymore. Friends, that's not what the Bible teaches. The issue is us. There's something on us that needs to take ownership of the reason why we don't see these things happening. But whatever the Holy Spirit does, he's doing in complete agreement with God the Son. Last thing. He's going to flow forth from all believers. The Holy Spirit will flow forth from all believers. John chapter 7. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. I I don't even have time to unpack this. Jesus said that those who believe on him will have the Holy Spirit flowing out of them. That's what Jesus said. And so when I read statements like that, the question that comes to mind is, does he? does the Holy Spirit flow from my life? Not, do I believe in the Holy Spirit? Not, do I sign yes to the gifts of the Holy Spirit? The question is, does the nature and the power, the personhood and the power of the Holy Spirit regularly, normatively flow from my life? That is a diagnostic tool for all of us because... That's not a charismatic doctrine. That's a statement from Jesus. Jesus said that that is going to be the reality, that the Spirit of God will flow like rivers of living water out from our hearts or out from our bellies. That means his work on the inside is so potent that it will flow outward. You're not big enough to contain all that he is and all that he does. It's kind of like every night it's just going to seep out of our spiritual Pours. and the very last thing and I'm going to cut you loose I know this is water, fire hydrant teaching this morning um, yeah I think it's helpful um, if you can get something out of it to, to get your at very least get your curiosity peaked or maybe even a little room for conviction saying Jesus I love you I believe in you I know that I'm saved but, but Jesus the statement you made in John 7 is not my reality The Holy Spirit's not flowing out from my life, and Jesus, I want to come into alignment and agreement with what you said. If if some folks would leave with just that today, then the Holy Spirit, the teacher, is going to say, yeah, let's talk about this, and he begins to teach you. The very last thing, truly the very last thing. (laughs) I say that four times every sermon. The fourth time is the final one. The Holy Spirit has unique messages for different local churches. Revelation 2:7, 2:11, 2:17, 2:29, 3:6, 3:13, 3:22. I'm sure, you got all that. Here's the most frequently repeated command in Scripture concerning the Holy Spirit. What is it? Hear what the Spirit says to the churches, and it came from the mouth of Jesus. Jesus said, "Hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches." plural. Why is that important? Because there are some things that he says to the church, big C, the big C church. There are some things that encompass all of us, no variation, no departure, no accentuation. It's just truth for the church, the bride of Christ. But underneath that is the Holy Spirit speaking to churches. The seven churches of the book of Revelation all got messages. Some of the points overlapped, but every single one of those messages that were spoken to those seven different churches had a different message. In other words, the Holy Spirit should never be viewed as sitting at an observatory um, balcony in heaven just watching the church. The Holy Spirit is here. The Holy Spirit is active here. The Holy Spirit has a sovereign will for here, for now. He can be speaking things to this local assembly that he will not speak to our friends next door or our friends up the street because he's speaking something different to them. doesn't mean theology is different or the core of the gospel is different. I'm telling you this, as uniquely as you speak to your children, he speaks to the children of God and those local assemblies. He has a mission and a purpose for New Bridge Church and the IHOP Atlanta Mission Base we are, we are revealing that as we get it. But we have to recognize that it's not going to be the same as the church you used to go to or the church, maybe you've been in this church, what God was saying five years ago, one year ago, six months ago. You say, well, Jeff, that's, that's just kind of difficult. Right, that's why Jesus said you need to listen to what he's saying. You need to hear what he is saying. What does that mean? Submit your ear. Submit your heart. Surrender your will. Stay low. Stay hungry. Open up your heart and say, Lord, whatever you're speaking, I don't want to hear anything other than that. We must learn to want to hear what he's saying now. We need constant awareness of the rhema word, what he is saying right now. Because apart from that, all we're doing is circles in what he once said, and we're missing out what he's saying in the moment, and none of us wants that. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet.